Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. In today's bonus episode, we're reviewing our Sussex Pond pudding from last week. We'll see how two Americans fared with this historic British recipe. And since April has five Mondays, we'll each award a coveted blue ribbon to the citrus dessert we most enjoyed during this bright and zesty month. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Hey, Stefan. Hey, Andrea. How do you feel about some healthy hippie food when it comes to your desserts? Mm, Well, I've recently kind of gotten into kombucha, so that's not necessarily dessert, but I think I'm cool with healthful hippie desserts. Yeah, hit me. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I mentioned I went to Eugene and did my tour of bakeries there. And that's where I got started thinking about it because one particular cookie I ran across in multiple locations in Eugene, Oregon, was a hemp seed hazelnut cookie. Okay. And I didn't eat that particular one. um, And I left Eugene and I was driving back to Olympia. And as I was going through Portland, I thought to myself, you know, I really should have tried that. I need to branch out. I don't always need to get the same old thing. So I stopped at the Portland bakery called Sea Star. And this is where Chef Annie Moss bakes. And she is the same chef that I took a cooking class from back in the Grains Conference. So it was really fun to see her place of work. That's right. And I ventured way out of my comfort zone. I got some things that were quite different. So I got a chocolate snack cookie, which was full of toasted seeds and dried apricots and oats. And instead of sugar, it looks like she used dates and honey in it. Ooh, yummy. I got an apricot cardamom tart, which I'm just loving that cardamom flavor now that we've started using it in our desserts. I think it's so good. Yes. And that particular tart was made with a buckwheat crust, and that was really good. Oh. But my favorite was something that I 100% expected not to like. It was called a crunchy coconut cookie. And the reason I expected not to like it is the two primary ingredients were raisins and whole grain millet. (laughs) What is going on? What is happening? I don't know. You already know my feelings about raisins. I will not bore the listeners with more of that. But let me give you my thoughts on millet. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever cooked with millet before. I took a cooking class probably 15 years ago at PCC Uh in Seattle, Puget Consumers Co-op. And it was called On the Side. And it it was just an amazing cooking class. It was maybe a five or six class series. And it was all about side dishes and how to elevate your side dishes. And the class turned out to be vegetarian. I don't even know if I knew that signing up. One of the things that he did to elevate your kind of classic side dish was he used a lot of unusual grains. So we used groats. We used buckwheat. We used millet. And in that class, everything we used with millet, I could not stop thinking that I was eating birdseed. And a couple of times since then, whenever I tried to use millet, I have thought birdseed. Have you ever baked with millet or have you eaten anything with millet grain? I don't knowingly 
know that I have. No. Mm-hmm. I, I did not expect to like this cookie. I just thought, oh, it's going to feel like birdseed again. But something about the way she used it, I don't know if she mixed other flowers with it. And again, the raisins, you were never biting into like a whole raisin. I think they were used for their sweetness and perhaps they were mixed in. It was heaven. And so I just want to say that I think listeners out there, if you're like me and you tend to get the same old thing every time you go to the bakery or the grocery store, feel free to branch out and try something different with a different type of flour or a different grain and see if you like it. You might be surprised as I was. I'm so proud of you, especially in light of our (laughs) little quiz last week. You might remember from episode 73 when we were talking about Andrea's favorite candy. So maybe you'll have to revisit that as well. You know, I think you make a good point because there's lots of um, homemade granola bars or, or that sort of thing that has like a date puree and that's how they're sweetening it. That's how they're getting mm-hmm. it to stick together. So yeah. why you wouldn't be able to do that with a raisin, of course you would, you know, and maybe it's just something about using it in a different way that will appeal to you as opposed to it just being the the raisin that's sitting in your oatmeal cookie. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I wonder too if maybe 20 years from now I'm going to feel about these type of desserts, you know, the way I did maybe 10 years ago when I just in general started eating healthier. You know, I when I grew up, we had some neighbors who shopped at the health food store, which was just kind of radical in my neighborhood made very healthy foods. I think they cooked a lot from that original Moosewood cookbook. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everything I tasted at their house or tried, I just was not a fan of. And over time, of course, the quality of the ingredients changed, the availability of the ingredients changed, and I think my palate changed. You know, I got to the point where uh, you know, a hash brown casserole maybe wasn't cutting it for me. And so I did love to eat, you know, something with uh, more broccoli in it or tempa or, you know, these other things, tofu that I had never had before. And so I think it'll be interesting in 20, 30 years if we just find the plain old chocolate chip cookie to feel kind of outdated. I don't know. Well, that's one thing we're always trying to do on our show here is introduce new things because you never you never know what you're missing or what you might like one year as opposed to to another so yeah well done you thank you well moving on to hollywood (laughs) once again i would just like to in our last bonus episode of citrus month andrea do you know the actress leslie mann she's a comedic actress she was in she's been in a ton of judd apatow movies isn't she judd apatow's wife yes i believe she's judd apatow's wife she's just a great comedic actress very funny person i love her yeah she was in knocked up i loved her she was yes she's in a new movie called blockers the plot of which i cannot relay on our pg podcast oh however the important thing here is that in the promotional pictures for blockers leslie is wearing my lemon sweater (gasps) oh my gosh leslie knew it was citrus month i know she's a don't you think she's just like hashtag preheated pod i think so i think so yeah no thanks leslie so anyway i can't comment on the film but if you go and you see a certain deliciously whimsical yellow sweater with lemons (laughs) then you can think of preheated podcast Hey, I have a super quick lemon follow-up since you mentioned lemons. One thing I wanted to share with people, we talked about the Meyer lemon in Citrus Month, and shortly after we talked about it, I saw a great article posted by Kate McDermott over in Pie Nation, and it was a follow-up and a deep dive on the Meyer lemon, and it was just 
fascinating reading this article about how Meyer lemons came about and everything about them. So I will post a link to that as well. But a couple of things that jumped out at me in that article was a lot of people saying, you know, gee, chefs love them, but they're really hard to find. And so what should you do if you can't find Meyer lemons? Mm. And Stefan, I had mentioned to you that I was going to do a little bit of research to see if there was kind of a Meyer lemon equivalent in London, which I didn't necessarily have any success finding. But what I did find was a lot of people saying, here's what you do if you want to make a recipe with Meyer lemons, but you don't have any. You use half lemon, half tangerine. Okay. And that will sort of duplicate the taste. So I'll post a link to that article in the show notes. It's it's not exactly half and half. There's a little bit of math that goes into play there, and it's different whether it's zest or juice. Sure. But I think that'll be interesting for people trying to duplicate that Meyer lemon flavor and not having access to Meyer lemons. Well, thanks for that tip. I know that's going to play a big role in our pudding coming up. Yes. Speaking of which, our Sussex Pond Pudding from Felicity Cloak over at The Guardian. Uh, We introduced this last week in episode 73. Stefan, you gave us some wonderful historical background on this dessert, and I had watched a really fun video from Paul Hollywood talking all about the Sussex Pond Pudding And then you might recall at the end of episode 73, I talked about the Instant Pot being a great gadget to use for things that require a water bath. So can you guess what I did with my Sussex Pond pudding? (laughs) I'm guessing this ticked all the boxes for the perfect dessert for the Instant Pot. Is that what you did? Indeed, I did. Uh, You would almost think we planned it. I promise you, listeners, it was just happenstance. But as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm not perfectly comfortable making recipe modifications on my own with the Instant Pot because it does have a lot of specifics. So I did invest $3.99 in uh, how to make spotted dick and other suet puddings (laughs) by Jeff Wells. It's from the Geezer Guides Publishing, so really just right up my alley. (laughs) The fabulous thing about this recipe book, which was so much fun for me to read, is he first does all the recipes regular methods, so steaming either stovetop or oven, and then he has a whole second half of the book that's the same recipes for the Instant Pot. And so it was just perfect. I could go side by side and compare. That's awesome. That's exactly what you need. The more important thing that he did for me was help me with all this language that's in this recipe that I'd never heard before. So let me start with one of the key ingredients in this Sussex Pond pudding. To make the pastry, you need self-raising flour. Now you had already told me this is very popular in London, yes? Very. Lots of recipes here, lots of baking-related recipes will call for self-raising. I think that's a very popular ingredient in in Southern cooking as well, Andrea. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. that's just your self-rising flour in the States. Yeah. So it's got the leavening and little salt added. And I, for whatever reason, don't have any in my pantry, but it's very easy to make. You put in two teaspoons of baking powder for every cup of flour in the recipe. Right. So just wanted to throw that out. Now, the second ingredient would be shredded suet. So pray tell, what is this suet? So suet is shredded lard. There is a beef version that is the traditional, and there's also a veggie 
uh, which would be more like a, a vegetable shortening, like a Crisco. And it's shredded and coated in flour, and it is incredibly popular. I used suet for the first time last fall when I made a huge batch of homemade mincemeat because it was a traditional mm. mincemeat, and it mm-hmm. called for suet. So this is very much like your leaf lard that you make your pastry crust with, Andrea. Did it feel familiar to you? Were you able to track it down? Well, I just feel that this was kind of one of those cosmic uh, karma moments because as I have selected so many recipes where you've had to traipse all over London town looking for uh, an ingredient, so I set off on the search for suet. (laughs) And I tell you, I went to my local Thriftway, which is kind of our highest end grocery store. I figured if anyone was going to have it, they would. And they have good butchers there who are always willing to talk about stuff. And I felt just like you back in episode 47 when you were in Whole Foods and looking for Crisco and you ended up with about six people trailing behind you. I am not kidding when I tell you that is exactly what happened to me in Thriftway. Parallel lives. I started out in the bakery and I, you know, I'm looking for suet. Well, what is it? And then I'm trying to explain it. Well, let's go talk to the butcher. Then we talk to the butcher. What what is it? Let me explain it. Oh, I kind of, well, now let's go down this aisle. Sure enough, I turn around. There's like six people behind me. And again, they're like, what are you using it for? Well, I'm going to make a steamed pudding. And then that blank look on their face. What's a steamed pudding? And so I just wanted to say to you, you know, I now completely understand your pain and agony when looking for an ingredient. But thank goodness for the geezer guides because he was quite happy to tell me how to substitute suet. And of course, he does say real suet can be difficult to find in North America. So feel free to substitute the same amount of lard or the same amount of vegetable shortening. Or they recommend a product called a Tora, which you can get from Amazon. But yeah, the, the suet is a beef fat that surrounds the kidneys. And it has a high melting point between 113 degrees Fahrenheit and 122 degrees Fahrenheit, which is much higher than regular lard, although it's closer to leaf lard because leaf lard's melting point is between 109 and 118. So I substituted leaf lard, which I had on hand for the suet. Okay, perfect. Yes. So I did go ahead and make my pastry using the recipe that you sent, Felicity's recipe. So I did the flour. I added the baking powder and a little bit of salt. I used lard instead of suet. I did use the ground ginger, which the recipe list is optional, but I thought that would be fabulous. Yep, I also threw in a tablespoon of sugar because I just thought that would be good. Okay. And then your liquid component is an equal mixture of milk and water that you cut into the pastry. You end up with something that I think is very similar to pie dough, although much stickier than a pie dough I typically make. Okay. Yes. Agree. Then we came on to the part of recipe that, again, confuses me. I'm seeing words like pastry cloth and pudding basin. Now, what did you cook yours in? Yeah, good point. So a traditional, you can buy, and many people have, a traditional pudding basin, and it is just that measured oven safe or a stovetop safe vessel of a certain size. Some are very, very large. Andrea, if you make like a giant Christmas pudding or another kind of steamed pudding that's going oh, okay. to feed, you know, two dozen people, something, it can be very large. Mm-hmm. I have a, a set of nesting bowls that are oven safe. I just substituted one of those that was 750 milliliters. If you don't know how much your bowl will hold, just fill it with water, measure out that 
amount of water and, and see which one holds exactly that amount. So that's how you can measure if it doesn't say on the bottom some nicely tell you that. So yes, I didn't run out and buy a pudding bowl for this, but but you don't have to. And I think Felicity's pretty good about saying that that's not necessary. I think so too. And I, of course, with my Pyrex collection, uh, I had a plethora of choices when it came to a pudding basin of this size. So I just picked one right. that I thought was really fun. It had a little bit more of a flatness at the bottom and then the curved edge and the straight side. So I thought it would be kind of pretty when I inverted it and, and popped the pudding out in the end. So I used a really fun little pudding nice. basin that I, I now call my pudding basin. It used to be my um, rice bowl but now it's a pudding basin so I really like it. Nice so then after you make the pastry and mine came together with the suet and very easy I agree it's just a very pie dough reminiscent type of pastry that you've made you then line the bowl or basin and put in a mixture of brown sugar and cubed butter and then the the twist is that you put in an entire lemon that you've scored in several ways pop a top crust on top and then put a pastry well the pastry top and then a parchment layer you make a little kind of hat for that and stick it in a I used a Dutch oven I sat it on top of my steamer basket Andrea the steamer baskets were like so hot in the 70s to do veggies oh yeah so you probably have one knocking around listeners mine you can uh, handily take out the the little handle that's in the middle so I could just set my basin on there very very sturdily and you pop it in a oven a low lower oven and you make a bain-marie or water bath so you fill it about a third of the way up with boiling water and you steam it for four hours is this all sounding like how it went for you, Andrea? Well, with the exception that I used my Instant Pot. And this is one of those times where I thought to myself, I'm really glad I'm using my Instant Pot today <laughs> because it was one of those rare spring days in the Pacific Northwest that we were actually having a lovely day. And it was nice and warm and sunny outside. And the last thing in the world I wanted was to have my oven on for four hours. So I put a trivet in the bottom of my Instant Pot. I filled it with six cups of boiling water, which put the water up to about one inch from the edge of the pudding basin that I was using. Yes. I just did a foil cover on top of my basin and then I made a foil sling, which is something that I do a lot in the Instant Pot anyway. So that was nothing new for me. I didn't use the parchment paper. It turned out just fine with foil. Nice. And I I did use the parchment and that was a little bit tricky. You are uh, just covering that with a little room to breathe and, and trying to then wrap a kitchen twine to keep that in place. That was a little aggravating probably the single hardest part of this entire process for me but I persevered mm -hmm. and stuck it in there now unlike uh, your day I had a miserable day of just pure rain so it was nice to just have that in there puttering around I did check on it kind of on the hour every hour to make sure my water level was all right you would not want that to boil dry with about an hour and 20 to go I filled it refilled it with probably another two cups of water so and I did my Instant Pot for 90 minutes using the steam function. And you don't open it during that 90 minutes. So it really is a set it and forget it. 
at 90 minutes, uh, I did what's called a natural pressure release. I won't bore those of you who don't have an Instant Pot into telling you what that is, but it took a little bit longer, I would say another 30, maybe 45 minutes. And then I opened it and I popped that pudding out. I flipped it upside down on a plate and the top of the pudding kind of crumbled so that the lemon was showing through. I thought it was quite pretty. Definitely did do the pond thing. It did. It was it was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. Now, here's my question. Are you meant to eat that whole lemon that's in there, or is it just there to provide the flavor? We ate parts of it, and you know the flavor of this reminded me of a marmalade. Because you know how marmalade uses the mm -hmm. peel of the citrus, usually an orange? This had that very sharp, uh -huh. you know, hinting on bitter that reminded me of marmalade. I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt you. You might want to watch out for seeds. I, I suppose that's down to a preference. I kind of liked it. I thought it was incredible. When it pooled onto that plate and it was warm, we had not yet had dinner. But I immediately thought to myself, well, there's no way I'm going to wait and let this cool. No, no, so no. So I had my piece then, and then I asked my husband if he wanted to try it, and he had his piece. And I asked my daughter if she wanted to try it. She had her piece. And I am not kidding when I tell you the three of us polished off <laughs> that thing so fast before we even <laughs> ate our dinner. We loved it so much. Oh. We ate the entire interior of that lemon. We left the peel behind. But any of the part of the interior that hadn't, you know, just already kind of melted and fallen away, we were pulling out and eating with the pastry part. Oh my yes. gosh, this thing is, well, you already know my love of lemons. I mean, this was perhaps one of the best desserts I have ever had. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, Andrea, I'm so happy. And I love how you brought it. You know, we had talked last episode when we were introducing this back in episode 73 that that you had had seen a video in which a recipe dating from 1100. Yeah. And now, you know, the different variations along the way. And now you have brought it into the modern times by using the Instant Pot. And I love that. You know, it just keeps evolving. That's true. Yeah, they definitely didn't have the Instant Pot back in medieval times. Um, I don't think so. Oh, my gosh. I had equal success with this, and it was just so different. I just had such a fun time making this and learning these new ways of cooking. Altogether, it's not hard to put together. It's that very easy pastry. I really like the pastry. I think it needs to be firm and stand up to the mm -hmm. very kind of caramely custard that you've made in the middle, the very sweetness. Yes. And it's very dramatic. It seems like a little surprise when you cut it and that lemon appears. Yes. And I mean, I don't know that any time I've eaten a whole lemon like that. It almost reminded me of, you see those like preserved lemons, something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. She says you can serve it with some cold cream. I thought some ice cream would also be really good. I do encourage you to eat it while warm, though. I'm with you, Andrea. I made it in the middle of the day, and I, I just needed to eat it right away. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yep, just what one does. I mean, I don't think you want to waste that warm, gooey goodness and that caramelization from the butter and the sugar. I mean, just this recipe ticked all of my boxes. I loved it so much, and I highly recommend it. I did not serve it with ice cream or whipped cream or anything, but I don't see how that would hurt. And just a safety tip for folks who are going to use the recipe as I did, so in the, in the Dutch oven, when you are checking those levels, be very cautious when you open the lid because 
because the steam will come out and you can get a very bad burn from that steam. So so kind of position the lid as a shield almost as you as you carefully take that off let the steam escape and then you can check for your water levels just keep an eye there good tip oh i'm so glad you i'm so glad you liked it well you'll need to experiment with all kinds of steamed puddings now that that you love this method i mean now that i have my geezer guide let me just tell you (laughs) what is in my future because i just i I also just want to say all these names instant pot spotted dick instant pot apple and blackberry pudding instant pot Christmas plum pudding, figgy pudding, ginger pudding, jam roly-poly. How much fun does that sound? Less, oh, darn it, I don't know how to say this one. Leicestershire pudding? No, Leicester. Leicester. Leicestershire? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I don't Leicester. Know. Mm-hmm. Leicester. Oh, just plain old Leicester. Okay. Treacle pudding, uh, ham and leek suet pudding, steak and kidney pudding. I, I, I could go on, but I'll stop there. I am so excited about making these steamed puddings now. I can't wait to I get started. <laughs> Well, everyone, that was from Felicity Cloak at The Guardian. That was the Sussex Pond Pudding. Andrea had her Instant Pot variation, or you can do that in a Dutch oven in a water bath in your oven. So we will have that recipe uh, linked to on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and also up on our Facebook and Pinterest pages. On to Blue Ribbon Time. Stefan, we had such a fabulous month of citrus desserts. We kicked it off with the Sunny Lemon Bars from Stella Parks on Episode 70, followed up with Coconut Tapioca Pudding with Mango and Lime from Kay Chun. That was Episode 71. Then we switched over and had some Orange Polenta Cake from Jamie Oliver in Episode 72. And, of course, wrapped it up with the Sussex Pond Pudding from Felicity Cloak last week in Episode 73. Stefan, where is your blue ribbon going? This was such a delicious month. I'm so happy we decided to do Citrus Month. And, of course, we're not done with citrus desserts. They will undoubtedly pop up throughout the rest of of the years and in many more episodes. For me, this came down to between two, between the Sussex Pond pudding and the coconut tapioca. Um, the other recipes I had kind of different issues with, although they were they were equally delicious, but just didn't work for some reason or another for me. So at the end of the day, the Sussex Pond pudding was so much fun to make, but realistically, I don't have an Instant Pot, and it's a four-hour commitment at the very least, probably not one I'm doing very often. So I'm awarding my April Blue Ribbon to the coconut tapioca with mango lime puree. Mm. I love a recipe that I can dismantle. So it's not only delicious altogether, but now I have just a wonderful recipe for the coconut tapioca. I think that would just be beautiful on its own. It was a very well-written recipe. It was very clear. Now that I found my tapioca here in London, of course, I have a big bag to get through. I liked the mango lime puree. I thought that had other applications for, you know, a cheesecake or ice cream topping, other ways. I love that way I can take apart a recipe and use the parts of it in different ways. So that's got my blue ribbon. I want to know about yours. Well, no big surprise. I am going with this Sussex Pond pudding. Yay. Listeners, if you've been with us for a while, you know uh, I awarded my first year Blue Ribbon to the Lemon Drizzle Cake. I love lemon so much, so it's no surprise how much I love this dessert that had a whole baked warm lemon inside. I love warm desserts, and then I also love 
being able to use my Instant Pot for something that I do think it's truly designed for. This is a perfect dessert. A steamed pudding is perfectly done in an Instant Pot. It was so easy for me. It really was set it and forget it. And it's impressive. It's different. Everyone in my household liked it. I will stop my ranting and raving about it right now, but I have to tell you, this one is going to be a hard one to beat, I think, because it really was a special dessert. And I also love that of the two, like two major blue ribbons are British desserts as well. You really run with those. (laughs) That is true. I, you know, in my heart, perhaps I am a secret Brit. Yes. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, listeners, let us know what your favorites have been this month. We always love to see your comments up on our Facebook community, and you can pop over and and let us know. Or if you have other citrus desserts, keep on letting us know what you love to make up with your citrus. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode on to the cooling rack. We hope you enjoyed our April trip through the citrus groves. After a month of citrus, we're certainly feeling bright, happy, and full of vitamin C. Next month, we're going to dive into some springtime favorites and celebrate the most heralded event of the year when the royal wedding takes place mid-month. So we will be doing royal wedding all month long in May, so get ready. It's not too late to pick up a hat or a tea towel if you'd like to celebrate along with us. Remember, you can find us on our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, also on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, and Twitter at preheatedpod. And if you like our show, please do tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us over on Apple Podcast or Google Play or Spotify, wherever you download your podcast. It really does help new people find us and listen to us. They care most about what you guys think. Until next time... In Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea Ballard. And in London, I'm Stefan Cohn. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.